It's 
um, uh, one of the taglines at the end of the story where they asked for comments, and they said, as uh, a Jewish man said, so what earth is wrong with us? Why do we keep seeking to live in places that have abused us for centuries? Mm-hmm. Good question. I thought that was uh, reasonably uh, profound. Uh, there's a story mm-hmm. that uh, there is for the second week in a row, another uh, large uh, mosque bombing in, uh, in Afghanistan. Um, uh, this time, I guess, 1820. Uh Muslims uh, killed in the mosque and the Taliban walking around in their little skirts. I think they're more like skirts, you know, where they have the skirt and the shorts uh, combined. It's a really fashionable look. It looks great with the AK-47 and, of course, the flak jacket uh, and the really uh, fancy headwear that uh, they wear in their slippers. Uh, But uh, I, I just have a question. Since the rallying cry against the United States was, they're killing Muslim women and children. We must avenge our women and children in the name of Allah. Now, who are they blaming? So they can kill them? It's only Muslims there now. So uh, now it's they can Muslims eat their own. killing uh, Muslims. Yeah. And, uh, and no one seems to be able to make the uh, connection between what they uh, falsely blamed previously, uh, 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 the the invaders of doing. Uh, there appears to be a real problem with the invasion, speaking of invasions of uh, Trump's Bar Largo uh, uh, compound. Uh, as I reported a week ago and two weeks ago, it is astonishing that the FBI would invade a, uh, a former president's home. It's never been done before. Uh, over an issue so ridiculous as he uh, he took some of the paperwork that uh, from the White House. Uh, of course he did. So is every president. So uh, so is every vice president. Yeah, they failed in their libraries. Uh, right. And the, and the yeah. thing that, uh, that triggered it is that he sent a whole bunch of boxes, like 17 or 18 boxes of, of stuff that, uh, that uh, he thought that uh, rightly belonged to the National Archives over to the National Archives. And when the stuff came to the National Archives from Mar Largo, that's what triggered the raid. So doing the right thing triggered the... Uh, the wrong response and of course they don't seem to have anything oh there's top secret documents but the president has the right to declassify anything uh, except nuclear mm-hmm. secrets they don't seem to have any of those there's some things oh there's uh, uh, dire consequences to the security of the united states if it's really there is no piece of intelligence and i use that worm word lightly that has ever been seen by the President of the United States, at least in the last 50 years, that, uh, that if made public, would undermine the security of the United States. It doesn't exist. Uh, the Chinese are not going to invade America. They're not going to nuke America. The Russians aren't going to invade America. They're not going to nuke America. At least they wouldn't if we didn't continue to send billions of dollars of sophisticated weapons to the Iranians to kill Russians. But those things are just not going to happen. They were never yeah. going to happen. They're not going to happen. There's no country that, uh, so long as the Second Amendment's in effect, that can invade uh, America. Uh, all of our, the money we spend on, on spying on the world and on our own citizens is completely wasted. It, it's, a, it's a game with you know, mental masturbation, uh, but it, uh, it's hundreds of billions of dollars worth of cost all year and to make people feel like they're somehow important. 
I mean, they took photos, they took personal notes, they took attorney-client privilege information. They were just reckless. It's just flat-out embarrassing as to uh, what has occurred. And the notion that the White House was uninformed and it was the FBI that initiated the, uh, the assault, yeah, not a chance in the world. The uh, head of the FBI is appointed by the President of the United States. All right, those things said, I'd like to return to where we uh, we were, unless you have an item in the news uh, that you would like to uh, no, discuss. That was, uh, no, that's uh, bad, that's bad enough. Thank you. Okay. If I sound uh, a bit sad, melancholy, melancholy today, I, I genuinely am. Mm-hmm. I, I have uh, uh, three young uh, uh, black men, uh, all in their early 20s, mm-hmm. all at their first job, that that I've essentially adopted uh, as their island uh, dad. Uh, and these kids mean a lot to me. They're kids, they're in their early 20s, but, you know, my age, they're kids. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're younger than my sons. And I, I've really come to love these uh, young men. And, and uh, two of them are being harassed by uh, the police here and uh, a prosecutor and treated horribly by uh, a local judge. And, uh, I read a most recent document signed by the judge that just uh, was disgusting, utterly disgusting. And I wrote an affidavit on behalf of uh, of the victims uh, uh, to be signed by three eyewitnesses that is so rife with, with lies and police malfeasance and uh, the judge doing the wrong thing and a young man who's done no harm to anybody already sacrificing the 17 months of his life uh, wrongly jailed and wrongly uh, put under house arrest and now they want to throw him back in jail for uh, getting a renewal of his driver's license so as he was going back and forth from his home where he's under house arrest I'm offered him a job so he, he, he could get out of his home I got the judge to approve his job, but now the judge wants to throw him back in jail and is claiming that he is disrespecting the court because one day while uh, leaving here, uh, he uh, stopped into the Department of Motor Vehicles so that he could renew his license so that he was legal as he would drive here and he could actually open a bank account since I pay him via check. And the judge has the audacity to have a hearing and wants to throw him back in jail for a crime, by the way, that he never committed. And uh, he's on probation, and he has not been convicted of any crime. Didn't perpetrate no it. Wow. And so I'm very, very frustrated uh, here. You know, they, I've been extremely antagonistic of uh, Black Lives Matter because, uh, first, I have been opposed to the belligerence of police for over 20 years, and the problem has no racial implications at all. It's an, an attitudinal thing, and the fact that we hire way too many uh, uh, cops from the military uh, where they're trained to kill, and they are too readily um, prone to deprive people of their freedom. They're way too belligerent, and that uh, they are um, uh, significantly uh, uh, predisposed uh, to lie. And they will lie for one another and they'll lie uh, in front of a court. And so I've been against law enforcement for a very long time. I've never found them helpful. Mm-hmm. And I have very often found them uh, belligerent. And, 
and I knew we were running into a problem. Well, Black Lives Matter tackled the problem the wrong way. As I've said, in Black Lives Matter, 93% of the black lives that are, are snuffed out are snuffed out by other blacks. And so it is a cultural problem, and they ought not be pointing the finger at anyone else, but instead looking at the culture within their own community that is causing this uh, tragedy. Uh, well, in this community, uh, almost 90% of the community is black. This judge, as well as every judge in the community, is black. The prosecutor is black. The cop is, uh, is black. Uh, the two victims are black. Uh, and the only person that seems to care about any of this is a white guy trying to keep the black judge and black prosecutor from ruining two black men's lives. So where is Black Lives Matter? I guess it doesn't fit their uh, their scenario. What's the motivation for that? Why are they doing that? Uh, the judge in them. Why are they, why are they trying uh, to do this? When you read it, it it'll just make your skin uh-huh. crawl. Um, obviously, a bad a bad cop, a judge prone to believe a uh, a bad cop one thing leads to another. They uh, they continue to double down on bad decisions. You know, I don't know, uh, uh, but I'm an uh, I've asked to serve as a character witness. Uh, that's been denied. They're not even allowing any witnesses at the hearing to uh, suppress the evidence that was uh, wrongly. Uh, uh, taken from these uh, boys, and they didn't commit any crime, not according to the U.S. Constitution. Uh, and yet their lives have been turned upside down. And, and I'm, I'm just exceedingly frustrated that such an injustice is, uh, is being done. And I, Kirk, you've come to know me pretty well. I, um, mm-hmm. There's one thing that, that uh, I do not uh, handle well, and that is uh, injustice. Uh, when somebody is unable to defend themselves and uh, the system comes down against them uh, when they're harmed yes. by by uh, someone and they can't defend themselves uh, and they're wronged um, I will risk most everything to intervene and try to help um, and this is one of the worst cases of injustice I have witnessed in a very long time um, and it seems to be um, pervasive within this uh, community, and um, I'm just hoping that if I can't prevail in court, that I will prevail with the media, and if I can't prevail with the media, maybe I can prevail with uh, civil lawsuits uh, against them um, to hold them uh, accountable. Uh, but some way, I, uh, I need to uh, do whatever can be done to keep these very, very good young men out of jail. Mm-hmm. All right. We were um, speaking about Moshe. I uh, identify with Moshe because um, I, I don't want to claim in the, I'm in the same league with Moshe. I, I'm not. And Moshe was the most extraordinary individual probably the world has ever known. Uh, and Moshe obviously had that same um, fervor where when he saw Hebrews being abused and defenseless against the politics and religion and economic arm of Egypt, at great risk to himself, he intervened uh, to spare them. 
that's exactly what I'm trying to do, with the exception of, you know, I'm not exposed to the same uh, downside, and and the stakes were much higher in, in Moshe's case. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. it's the same. It's the same thought process. It's the same justification. It's yeah. the same desire uh, to do the right thing. And and yeah. the Hebrews, of course, responded very poorly to uh, Moshe uh, intervening for them. And I, I would tell you that the, uh, the the people that that I'm trying to intervene for fought me initially uh, too. Even the the victims that I'm trying to help because they are so accustomed to being mistreated, so accustomed to being uh, deceived, uh, so accustomed to having everything turn against them. Uh, you know, one more person saying, I want to help, and it's not credible uh, to them. And, of mm-hmm. course, the Hebrews turned on, on Moshe. Uh, now, in the case of uh, myself and these uh, young people, I've been invested hundreds of hours of my time now trying to help them and, and have employed them uh, and have served as their their uh, father. Uh, Moshe did far more. And if anybody listening here, and by the way, I want to welcome those in France, uh, which, which is where we are having our marketing effort uh, uh, outreach this uh, evening, and also want to thank uh, Dee, the, uh, the numbers of, uh, of followers now on on the social media platforms is uh, is really quite extraordinary, uh, and so I'm, I'm really grateful for what Dee and Jackie and uh, my wife uh, Leah sure. are uh, doing in that uh, in that regard. But uh, <clears throat> Moshe had invested 40 years. Uh, he had a 40-year timeout after fleeing. Mitzrayim after the Hebrews turned on him when he tried to help them. Yahweh asked him to go back and he had been with them now 40 years. And uh, and it's hard to imagine uh, less likable people than the children of Israel were during the Yatza Exodus. Uh, and during that time, uh, Moshe has been exemplary. He has communicated the words of Yahweh accurately he has summarized them brilliantly. He's had spectacular moments of uh, oratory. He has uh, been courageous uh, and has shown great character. Uh, he had a couple of senior moments late in, uh, in life. Uh, the, the Waters of Mirabar is one of those uh, senior moments. Uh, I'm here to tell you I'm delighted uh, that Moshe did because otherwise he uh, establishes a standard that, that is so far beyond <laughs> yeah, uh, the it. reach of, of any did. of us by way of example. It still is way beyond the reach of any of us uh, by sure. comparison, but at least there's some humanity that comes through. The one going okay, kick well, in the armor, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't perfect. I don't have to be perfect either. Uh, and so I want to share with you the last statement, uh, the concluding statement of the Waters of Mirabar, and then we're going to analyze it again. I've been told by many who heard the program that the uh, that what we shared regarding uh, Moshe was fairly extraordinary. That no one had heard that perspective ever, and that it's so different than the religious perspective, where the religious uh, say, "Well, see, you've got to be perfect because Moshe makes a tiny mistake and God." Uh, spanks him and said, now I'm keeping you out of the, uh, the promised land. Uh, not so. Turns out yes. that, was, that was not the case, not even close. So this reads, and Moshe, 
Moshe, by the way, means to draw out. Grasp hold of the staff, the branch, which is symbolic of the tribes and, and uh, also is symbolic of being a shepherd. From the presence of Yahweh, and the only reason he was in the presence of Yahweh, he made a mistake. Um, it's not a mistake to be in the presence of Yahweh, but the children of Israel no. were giving him a hard time. And when you are as battle-hardened and tested and as certain of Yahweh's uh, investment in your life, uh, of the Ruach spirit of Yahweh protecting you and inspiring you, you don't back down just because people are angry with you. You just don't do it. You, you, you have supreme confidence under those circumstances. Now, I'm not uh, I, 120 years old and haven't gone through this for as long as he has. So I'm not judging him. I'm just telling you that was not the right response. So Moshe summoned, along with Aaron, which means the alternative, the contingent community uh, to the presence of the rocky uh, outcropping. And he said to them, please, listen, those of you who are rebellious and embittered, ha mara, that's how we get the term waters of Meribah, those of you who are defiant, obstinate, and malcontents, is it possible that from this crag we will bring forth water for you? Now, he wasn't asked to present a hypothetical. He wasn't asked to set up a, a test for Yahweh. There was no question here. I mean, what, this was the God who freed them from the most powerful country on earth at the time and yeah. led them to the precipice of the promised land uh, and had protected them all along the way. They're really at that point, you are so far beyond needing to test Yahweh that it was ridiculous. Shouldn't have said that. It's a bad choice. Then Moshe raised up his hand and he struck the rocky outcropping with his staff. Twice with two strikes. And abundant waters came out. So the community of the restoring testimony drank as did their livestock. The staff is to rescue the sheep. The staff is to walk with the sheep. The, the staff is, to, is a symbol of guiding the sheep, of protecting the sheep. It isn't a symbol of beating the sheep. Yes, understood. So that wasn't the symbolism that Yahweh wanted to get across. You know, pagan gods, they're all painted as, as striking and being vicious against humans and against nature. That's not who Yahweh is. The things that's important to Yahweh are words. He said, speak to the rock. Therefore, Yahweh said to Moshe and to Aaron, because you did not place your trust in me and you are not trustworthy, 
Oh, ouch. Mm. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't want to hear those. No, don't want to hear that. No, no. At not. that point, you know, Moshe's heart is somewhere around his toes. For the purpose of demonstrating that I am unique, special, set apart, and very different before the eyes of the children of Israel. So what was Yahweh's issue? His issue is that Moshe did not demonstrate that he was trusting and relying on Yahweh, which is the only thing that matters. It is the essence of our salvation, mm-hmm. to trust and mm-hmm. rely on, on Yahweh, and to demonstrate that Yahweh is not like anything else. He is not like Amun-Ra. He's not like Horus or Osiris or Isis or the, the bull cults of Mitzrayim. Not a lord that seeks to own or possess. He is set apart, exceedingly different and distinct. And that's what Moshe missed. Anyone can hit a rock. It's knowing what to say and when to say it. Therefore, the correct approach is that you will not bring Lobo F this contingent community, Ha-Ka'al, Ha-Zeth, into the land, which to show the way to the benefits of the relationship I gave to them. That is where the, the uh, term that has now become a, um, a website, Yahoo, was first originated. You, therefore, are not going to have to lead these malcontents into the land. Yeah, say, take that. He did not say, you're not going to go see the land or be able to go into the land, did he? No, he no. didn't. In fact, Yahweh gave him the ultimate trip into the land. He flew him through every aspect of it. Moshe saw it all. A soaring experience in Yahweh's hand as he soared through the land. He just didn't have to go in with the malcontents. Yahoo, indeed. Yahoo. These are the Mayam Meribah, the waters of contention, where Bene Yisrael, the children who were argumentative and quarrelsome with God, were contentious and taunted, disputed and opposed, bickered and deliberately accused Yahweh. And through them, he demonstrated that he was different. So last week we asked, what do you suppose is the lesson Yahweh is teaching us through this illustration? Is it, as so many have claimed, proof that the God of the Torah must be obeyed, that he's quick to judge and condemn based upon a single, seemingly minor offense? Hardly. He asked Moshe to speak to the stone rather than strike it. But why then the insistence of taking the staff if he wasn't to use it? Why did the rock produce water and quench everybody's thirst under those circumstances? Why were those who were dismissive of God and opposed to him allowed into the promised land and only Moshe, the greatest of the prophets, presumably precluded? 
And what are we to make of what seems preposterous? How is it that the Israelites who said that they would rather have died being religious with the rest of the Jews than live with Yahweh, who are clueless as to why they were liberated and are oblivious to the message of the Torah. Why are they allowed into Israel? While Moshe, the one who made it possible for the rest of us to know Yahweh and engage in his covenant, was excluded. One would have thought it would have been just the opposite. Mm-hmm. So, my friends, the answers are all mirrored in the waters of Mirabah. It served as a reflecting pool, one designed by God to reveal what the Israelites had become and what they would remain. Yahweh recognized that there was no reason to speak to his people. He spoke to Moshe. He didn't speak to the children of Israel because they weren't listening to him anyway. Like the Jews today playing religious dress-up with their fancy weasel hats. There was no merit in reasoning with them because they were anything but reasonable. Like their religious descendants. And there was no reason to judge them because they had already judged themselves. The Waters of Mirabah is a story of unwitting self-assessment and of disclosure leading to self-determination. As for the hero of the story, like so many of the exceptional individuals along life's way who Yahweh has chosen to work alongside, Moshe was a good man, albeit not a perfect one. Sure, after 40 years of succeeding with God, of doing what would otherwise have been impossible, and while still mourning over the loss of his sister, he had an embarrassing moment. He should have stood up. He should have confronted the angry mob. He should have done an Elia and been sarcastic in front of them. He ought to have cut them to their knees. The last thing he should have been is so stressed out that he fell on his face. What do you think it looks like to the children of Israel? They give him some lip, he runs away, and he falls on his face. It's not a good look. It's not what God would have of those through whom he is working. But keep in mind, Moshe was the best person available, the only person available. And even he was imperfect. There was no reason to question whether or not the rocky crag would deliver as promised. For those missteps along the way, Yahweh told one person who normally listened and then did as he requested that he should have trusted him to provide what the people needed. After all, without a weapon at their disposal, they had seen Yahweh defeat the mightiest military 
the world had ever known. But let's be clear. Moshe was not being punished. He was being rewarded. He was being retired after having accomplished the most difficult job in the world as well as it could be done. Yahweh gave him the ultimate tour of the promised land, flying him over its full expanse. And then he took him to heaven. His time of herding, bickering bozos was over. Yahoo. On a related note, the religious try to pray their difficulties uh, and disappointments away, unaware that they that we are defined really by the way we confront life's challenges. After all, if life were always easy, there would be no incentive to trust Yah, and we would be deprived of men like Moshe. Moshe rose to the occasion during an exceedingly challenging time. He did not pray away the problems. He confronted them. Turning a negative into a positive can hone our character and increase our confidence. And at least trying to do the right thing for the right reason matters. Each time we prevail, each time we try and give it our best, we learn that we're capable of overcoming and, and achieving something valuable, something enduring especially when we know and trust Yahweh. Kirk, as you know, we're all given the occasion to test the waters, to sink or swim, to be dismissive Mm -hmm. or responsible, to be part of the problem or advance the solution. And so each time an obstacle appears in our path, we have a Meribah moment. Moshe, rather than run away from the bickering morons, ought to have used that as a moment to look them square in the eye. Say, stop. Have any idea what you're doing, how ungrateful you actually are for what's been done for you, what's been promised to you. And here you are bickering. You want water? I'll give you water. Stop your complaining. Apologize to God. After rescuing the children of Israel and guiding them, walking with and protecting the children every step of the way, even offering them his Torah and reaffirming their place in his covenant, the Israelites did the worst thing imaginable. They not only turned on God and provoked him, questioning his motives and his ability, they publicly stated that they would have preferred being with their religious brethren. Same thing is true today. Given the option, they would rather die with the religious than live in a relationship with Yahweh. Exactly the same choice is being made by most every Jew today. And yet, 
in spite of committing the most egregious offense against Yahweh. He continued to lead them into the promised land. Although, as we shall see, not everyone would be included. Most, in fact, had already excluded themselves. I do want to interrupt this and, and just say that we are sharing insights that are now contained and a book that's not currently uh, online. I think uh, uh, Mike is posting some of the excerpts of it into the chat room uh, for others to read. And the volume is Volume 8 of Yadi Iowa. Um, I have finished writing it. Um, there's two more chapters that the Proof Squad is, uh, is evaluating and uh, uh, Jackie will have it uh, published uh, forthwith. Uh, the reason I, I want you to know that is that of all of the 23 volumes, I think, that have been rewritten and, and posted on the Yada Yawa uh, site, yadayaya.com, this may be the single most effective at communicating who Yahweh is, what our time is relative to his return, how much time we have left, who he wants to communicate to, his people, Israel and Yehuda, what his message is to them, why he has been so frustrated with them over the years, and what he is offering now to resolve that. I don't think in all of the 21 years we have done this, there is a volume more specifically synced to this time and Yahweh's message to his people, Yisrael. And so if you hear me say things that cause you as perhaps a Jewish individual to cringe and say, how can he say those horrible things about me? Is he anti-Semitic? No, exactly the opposite. I love Yahweh's name. I love your name, Yahudem, means beloved of Yah. And I am dedicating my life, devoting my life, 10 hours a day, 6 and 7 days a week, now for 21 years, to communicate Yahweh's message to you so that you come home. I'm not communicating as a Christian. In fact, I wrote the four volumes of Questioning Paul to completely denounce Christianity, and the New Testament. I'm not certainly coming to you as a proponent of Islam. I've written Prophet of Doom, which is the most effective, effective rebuttal ever scribed against the religion of Islam. I am not coming to you as an atheist or secular humanist. I've written plenty and spoken forthrightly against the negativity associated with the religion of man and man in a collective form and how individual men and women can be good or bad, but collectively, the larger the organization, the more power it is given, the worse human behavior becomes. No, I'm speaking to Yehudim, Jews, and to Israelites, Israel based upon what Yahweh, God's one and only name, has said. 
communicating his words as accurately and as completely as is possible, and then sharing their intent. And this volume, more than anything we've ever done, and it's 12 chapters long, we're still in the first chapter, is central to that mission. Now, with that said, one of the many ways that Yahweh demonstrated that he is different, unique, special, and therefore not religious, because religion is the most common thing in human society, is that he addressed Moshe, but not the others. He continued to teach the one man who consistently listened to him while ignoring everyone else. The one closest to the truth would grow an understanding while those furthest from it would continue to recede from God. When we project Yahweh's approach on this day to our day, we find him ignoring the clamoring of thousands of rabbis and millions of ignorant Herodim focus his attention and to share his guidance with the lone individual most devoted to learning. And as was the case with Moshe, he would also be the most opposed to the religion and culture of God's people. Yahweh recognized that this generation of Israelites, like the one a few millennia ago, is a lost cause. There was and remains no way to teach them or redeem them. But he had made a promise, and he was committed to honoring it, a promise he made to Abraham. That is yet another thing that makes God different from Israel. It's what makes God different than the God of Islam or Christianity. They have reneged on every promise or transferred or changed every promise. And Yahweh always honors his. To appreciate the, letter, the lessons we can learn from Meribah, context is vital. Six and seven chapters prior to this in Bamidbar, Numbers 13 and 14, we discovered that only two individuals out of the generation that had been liberated from Mitzrayim would enter and remain within Yisrael. Those being Yosha bin Nun and Kalib, all judgment. To set the scene, Yahweh had asked Moshe to shalak, send out individuals to Shur, explore the land. He was not out to send out spies, as most English Bibles errantly read. He requested that one Nazi leader depart from each Mate tribe of Yisrael. Recognize that Mate is also the word for staff. We have our answer. The Mate in Moshe's hand was to be a reminder of what had occurred 40 days after these lessons when the less than intrepid explorers returned. 
The name of each Yisraelite leader is listed by tribal affiliation beginning in Bamidbar 13.4 and running through the 16th statement, wherein Moshe selects Yosha Bindon, Yahweh saves the son of the uh, enduring, the perpetual, the infinite. Therein we find that Caleb would represent Yahuda, the beloved of Yah. His name means either all heart or universally judgmental. After walking around and exploring the land for 40 days, all but two of these men were shuddering in their sandals. They reported that the the land was scary. Nonetheless, this notwithstanding, indeed, negating all of this, however, the people are are very prong. They're they're super powerful and vicious. Those who dwell in the land have fortified cities with impregnable and inaccessible walls, which are gedormous, exceedingly large, numerous, and high. And besides all of that, in addition to this, we saw there the descendants born unto Anak, those who wear necklaces. <laughs> I like that. Oh, exactly right. <laughs> Where did they get that? You know. Okay. Oh my. Oh God. It is just so sad. scary. Lions and tigers and bears, but at least there are some answers in these pathetic depictions. Since eleven of the thirteen leaders were weasels, it explains the shrimmyel headwear. Now horned by Hasidic Jews. Sorry. <laughs> Toto had more courage than the lot of them. Good, good. Uh, speaking of Kaleb. Kaleb, uh, by the way, is the Hebrew word for man's best friend. Then Kaleb, uh-huh. the dog, who was all heart and thus completely judgmental, stills and silenced the people before Moshe. My words matter. Character matters. Conviction matters. He said, let's arrive and leap at this opportunity. Let's get up and get going. Let's inherit what we've been given. For it is for certain that we are capable and will succeed. So let's be confident and prevail through understanding. Oh, I like that man. It's exactly what Yahweh was looking for. there was one Kaleb and hundreds of thousands of others. His attitude, his courage, and his speech inspiring. If only there were a handful of Kaleb standing up against the prevailing tide in Israel today. But alas, his declaration fell on deaf ears and hardened hearts. As we consider what preceded the meltdown at Meribah, it would behoove today's Israelites to ponder Yahweh's assessments of these ingrates, these dunderheads and cowards that he had herded through the wilderness only to see their attitude get so mired in the religious and cultural gutter that they were now vomiting all over themselves. 
And as it turns out, no one likes a crybaby, including God. This notion that the meek will inherit the earth. Yeah. Sorry, that was propaganda that the Roman Empire mm-hmm. wanted to uh, impose upon those they were manipulating. The entire assemblage of what should have been eternal witnesses rose up and were carried away, offering their voices by crying, wailing and weeping as a, as a people throughout the night and in the darkness. And every one of the children of Israel grumbled and complained, howling against and blaming Moshe and Aaron, the one who draws out then the The entire community served as witnesses when they said to them, if only we had died in the land of the religious and political oppressors, Ba'eretz Mitzrayim, if only we had died in this wilderness while questioning the world, the word, Oba Ha Midbar Hazeh. Why did Yahweh bring us to this land? So that we would fall by the sword? Our women and our little children will be preyed upon and plundered. By any time you hear a religious person say, I'm here to protect the the, the women and children, you know, they are the ones that are yellow. That they need to be protected from, yeah. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to the crucibles of political and religious oppression? They ought to be glad that I wasn't voted for, in for God for a day. Because I would have said, you're right. <laughs> the hell with all of you. Go on back. Let me take you back. Enjoy slavery, you slime. Uh, would have been fair. Was the just answer to what they had said. Mm-hmm. Uh, God had a different <laughs> intent, although his intent was, at that point, what, 2,500 years in the future. He's uh, considerably more you, patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I share a little something that's similar to this thread of thought here that uh, it struck me as I read this probably about the fourth time? Uh, each time I kept thinking about it and thinking about it, I, I shared 10 years ago something with a family member uh-huh. about what Yahweh wanted after reading so much of Yahweh Yah and spending time with you and uh, learning as fast as I could to get it up to, to a decent witness to share with people. And I shared this with her, and I knew she understood what I was saying. It wasn't She wasn't confused about anything. And she had the most, the most horrible response. She said to me, if what you're saying is true, and that means that my mother and my grandparents, whom I loved, won't go be in heaven. And I said, well, that's true. They didn't have that choice to make, or they didn't know, or didn't see it. And she said to me, well, if that's true, then I don't want to do this. I don't want to be involved in this. And I thought that the most extraordinary thing. It was like, here's a rope to get you out of a drowning situation. Other people around you have already drowned. And you don't want to grab the rope. Mm-hmm. And these people would rather 
die with their religious right. yep. relatives than yep. then be part of Yahweh's family. And I thought, how extraordinary. And it, it, that's 10 years ago. Uh, and and I, I, I was just stunned by that the time. Probably 15 years ago in my case. But a woman uh-huh. had uh, had lost her daughter. A sad situation. Yes. She had lost her daughter. Yeah, and terrible. her daughter terrible. was devoutly, uh, devoutly Christian. Now, the... Nothing mm-hmm. more important Same to her daughter's life than the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so she says, you know, I'm not questioning your translations, your interpretations of those translations. I can't argue with any of it. it I've validated it. It's clearly true what you said. But what that means is that my daughter is not in heaven. And if she's not there, I'm not going there. Okay. That's your choice. If, uh, if you can't deal with the fact that, unfortunately, you, you were part of misleading your daughter and you can't move on and say, let's devote the rest of my life so that no other mother suffers the same fate, at least yeah, all the right. mothers that's that the I can right reach. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Perfect let answer. Perfect let answer. your heartache be turned into something positive. We all have heartache. We all, we all have issues. Families are particularly broken. Um, let's make the best of the opportunity we have, not make the worst of it. The only thing more debilitating and detrimental to a soul than a than a bad attitude is one with a defeatist um, approach and that is pervasive among the people. There is a name for such widespread plagues. Religion. Mm -hmm. We're discovering that freedom is not for everyone. Life is not always worth living. When a nation's judgment is compromised by societal delusions, lives no longer matter. Souls of the people become worthless, a value they themselves had placed on them. Israel was declaring in one voice that they would prefer to die with their religious brethren, poisoned by their religion, oppressed by politics, devalued by the resulting culture, than live in an emancipating, enriching, empowering, and an enlightening relationship with God. And if you look at the Herodim today, nothing has changed. With this self-assessment, we see why Yahweh asked Goy, a Goy in particular, to share his message with his people. And Mm -hmm. we are learning why the preponderance of Jews will die of self-inflected wounds as they collectively choose a fate similar to the conditions endured in Mitzrayim. And they will suffer that throughout the time of Jacob's troubles. Between now and then, confronted with minor inconveniences, they will simply 
ignore this message. After all, God's presentation of what occurred at this point in the Yatza Exodus when Jews collectively chose death over life, rejecting the ultimate opportunity because their preference was to die as religious slaves, it's been available to them and their language for over 3,000 years. And yet it's had no influence upon them. Now, there are other insights worthy of our consideration. First, the majority of the people, and thus the religious and political, are almost always wrong. Second, when Yahweh would prefer an uplifting and intelligent, confident and emboldened relationship with one of us, with Kalib, for example, he'd prefer that than a, than a compromised relationship with many. Inclusion in the covenant has always been quality over quantity. And that's why Yahweh was up front with us on the first tablet that he etched in stone, letting us know that his mercy and favoritism would be limited to thousands amongst billions, or one in a million. And third, since God is consistent, his choice between religion and relationship between the culture of man and the covenant, bondage or liberty, death or life, is for us to choose. The choice is ours alone. God's made the offer. We can accept it. We can reject it. We can ignore it. Now, moving on, Israelites would play this same card again in a losing hand when they chose Shaul over Yahweh, mm-hmm. man's way over God's way. This is Bamidbar Numbers 14.4. And they said to one another as brethren, we want to choose and appoint a higher and better ruler. We want a foremost leader because we want to return to the religious and political oppressors in Mitzrayim. They had God leading them, and they had the audacity to say, we want to choose and appoint for ourselves a higher and better ruler, a foremost leader, because we want to go back to Mitzrayim and be enslaved. Wow. Wow. They not only were being led by Yahweh, the greatest man who ever lived was walking with them. Mm-hmm. Listen, if you're searching for better than Moses, <laughs> good luck. There's only one person in human history that can measure up. Dode. Oh, and he's coming back, so your search won't be very long. but to reject Moses. Oh, goodness. Today among religious Jews, rabbis are esteemed well above God. These awful men are respected, venerated, cited, and followed. When Yahweh is disavowed, disrespected, ignored, and bypassed, as is the case with so much of what Yahweh teaches, 
this story is not only prophetic, recognizing that the Israelites have continued to choose religious oppression over Yahweh to this day, it is also one to which Jews remain oblivious. God's depiction of what occurred between these two insurrections was a mirror, one reflecting the heart, mind, and soul of those poisoned by Judaism. Alas. Moshe and Aaron were at the end of their rope. Like others, Yahweh would deploy. There was only so much they could endure. Then Moshe and Aaron fell on their faces before the entire contingent community, this horde and mob, this swarming herd of wannabe witnesses of the children of Israel. Bad Bidbar Numbers 14.5 This miserable mob of misfits had pushed the great liberator and prophet beyond what he could endure. He was ready for his retirement. I suspect, at least as it pertains to my personal experience, that Yahweh has been overwhelmingly supportive and has protected me from such um, abusive, caustic rhetoric and attitudes. I suspect he is doing so. Well, one, because I'm no Moshe. And second, because we're running out of time. And the fact is, there isn't another Yosha Ben Nun prepared to take over. So he doesn't want me to wear down or give up. Although I'm pretty sure that so long as I have my health and a means to continue, he realizes that that we're going to work together to see this through its conclusion. I think Moshe loved the job as much as I do. Mm-hmm. With only 11 years left now in 2022, before his return on Yom Kippurim in year 6,000, yeah. For there to be a meaningful reunion, Yahweh wants these translations and interpretations to continue uninterrupted. We're about to complete the eighth volume of Yada Yahweh. There'll be a ninth volume of Yada Yahweh to add to the three volumes of an introduction to God, to the five volumes of observations, to the two volumes of coming home to the four volumes of questioning Paul and to the two volumes on Islam and the first on human dynamics in a corporate uh, world. It's a lot of books, a lot to read, a lot of, of these programs to listen to, and it's all being presented for you freely at yadayad.com. Please capitalize on it. It's what Yahweh wants. He wants you to come home. Now, because there isn't a viable alternative, I suspect that's why I find myself living on a remote Caribbean island far away from the distractions which would otherwise devote my attention. It's interesting, too. You, you know, in the 91st Psalm, Yahweh said he would not allow any mm-hmm. harm to come uh, near my home or family. 
Yes. You know, this is the uh, first time uh, since 1994 where there hasn't been a single named storm during the month of August in the entire Atlantic Basin. A lot of I've been, here, I've about been you. here for three years. There hasn't been a hurricane anywhere close. God didn't say I was going to keep hurricanes at bay, but he said he wasn't going to allow any harm to come to my home. And he's not doing that um, for any other reason than this is important to him. He doesn't want the distraction. He wants the job done. And he wants his witness, his Bashar, his Choder, his Nakri, the little Zoroa, to have every opportunity to focus, to learn, and to teach. Because every hour invested in learning and sharing has the potential of increasing the covenant family by yet another Yehudim, by yet another child of Yisrael. And this is not a competition. You know, if, if you were normally in an inheritance, a battle with other siblings and who knows, relatives, and there was a fortune that was being distributed and you thought, wow, if I get the lion's share, so much the better, right? In this situation, the more the better. The universe is sure. gnormous, to state it mildly. It is plenty big enough for a million times, a billion times the number of us that are going to make it into Yahweh's covenant family and into Shamaim. So it, it, in it? No. it is, and we're, and we're moving from being a three-dimensional construct to seven, which is a multiple of infinity times infinity times infinity times infinity of where we currently are. There's no shortage of what we're going to inherit, plus we get to be buddies, uh, family, with the creator God of the universe. There's no shortage of what we're going to be able to inherit. And so the more unique personalities that are part of eternity, the more interesting it's going to be. So our hope is that more of you choose to listen to Yahweh. Acknowledge his name. Respect his name. Learn from his Torah teaching. Accept the five conditions of the covenant. Attend his seven Moed Mikre. Because if you do, you'll make that experience for all of us, including God, even richer. You know, after 21 years, I'm still eager to rise with the sun, to explore his words, ever ready to share the insights he sets before us each new day. So Yahshua ben Nun, Yahweh saves the children who endure forever, and Kalib ben Yafune. He is wholeheartedly judgmental as a child in the presence. 
out of the ones who had explored the land tore their clothes as a sign of cutting ties and disassociating from the insulting behavior and disparaging words. They challenged the entire assemblage of the children of Israel. We passed through the land, which has been provided as a benefit of the relationship. We have explored and investigated it, carefully reconnoitering and surveying everything associated with it. Land is very, very good, exceedingly pleasant, and especially desirable enormously productive and beneficial. It's stunningly beautiful, too. If Yahweh wants to be with us, if he prefers us and is willing to be around us, then he will come with us and bring us into this land and give it to us. It is a land which as a benefit of the relationship flows with an abundance of milk and honey. That notwithstanding. And let us be perfectly clear regarding this point. Do not rebel religiously against or politically oppose acting in a revolting manner against Yahweh. Also, you should choose not to respect, admire, or fear anything associated with the people of the land should they attack and fight against us. Their shadow as well as their protection will be removed from them because Yahweh is with us. Neither respect wow. nor fear them. Numbers 14. I love that guy. Mm, mm. It really does. I just love to read his words. He was right. He had passion. He had courage. He knew Yahweh. He had no reason to cower, no reason to fear. Total confidence. It is what we gain when we shirk religion, when we jettison politics, and we embrace Yahweh as he presents himself in his Torah and come to trust and rely on him, we all become like Caleb. Caleb eh, might have been a bit more articulate than the uh, most of us. Not measurably so. We all have it in us to be Caleb's. Well, it was another inspiring speech. Yosha and Caleb knew why they were there and what they could achieve. They realized and acknowledged what Yahweh was offering and expecting in return. However, they realized, as we must today, that the truth about God is exceedingly unpopular. The religious and political, and therefore the preponderance of the people, were, and they continue to be, misled to the extent that their beliefs are the antithesis 
of what Yahweh intends for us. On this day when even Moshe and Aaron Greg, you went mute, at least on my end. I'll read a little bit while uh, we're waiting for Craig to come back online. I'm not sure whether um, I'm being heard either, but I'll pick up where he left off. And he says, on this day, when even Moshe and Aaron were mute, uh, Yosha and Caleb were outnumbered by as many as a million to two. And so it continues to be those who stand with God, who speak with Yahweh, convey a message which is contrary to almost everyone else. The question that I'm asked by the likes of those opposing Yosha and Caleb on this day, how is it possible that you can be right about God and everyone else be wrong, uh, has been answered, of course. It has always been that way, and all one has to do is to ascertain whether Yosha and Caleb were correct as opposed to all of those listening to them, is to compare their words and their responses to the words and the responses of our God. But alas, that is not what the religious and political naysayers do in this, such situations. The gang mentality of being part of a large group causes most everyone to assume that the majority of the people are right and that the contrarian voices must be silenced, even if such individuals or citing Yahweh's message, just as those two intrepid individuals had explored the promised land, we have thoroughly investigated the words of God. Yahweh's Torah, His Nabi, Wa Mizmor, Psalms, and we have found it to be Tob, Miod, Miod, very, very good, exceedingly pleasant, especially desirable, enormously productive and beneficial, even stunningly beautiful. And it was written because Yahweh Shephet Ba'anukhu wants to be with us. It is his desire to bring us home to his place, to a place flowing with milk and honey, and to give it all to us. It is why he created the universe, conceived life, provided the Torah, and extended his offer to be part of his covenant family. As for milk, it is the mother's nectar the life-sustaining connection between a parent and their child. Honey is also indicative of living a sweet and long life. Only honey, as most of us know, among the foods we find palatable, appears to endure forever. The act, notwithstanding, and let me be perfectly clear, because this is a vital important, vitally important, no matter what you decide about following Yosha, Caleb, or me, or to meet, speaking of uh, CW, meet Yahweh in the promised land. Do not rebel religiously against or politically oppose any 
acting in any revolting manner against Yahweh. This is not fair to him, and it is stupid for you. And by the same token, do not lash out against those with the courage and compassion to speak for him. As for the overtly political and religious, you should not respect, you should not admire or fear anything associated with such people. Soon, even their shadows will be removed because Yahweh is with us, not with them. Through the ages, unable to muster a reasonable retort, the religious and political have relied on logical fallacies when confronted with the truth. A favorite is an ad hominem attack, demeaning the messenger rather than debating the message. That's always true. So then everyone who was part of the community witnessing against themselves said, let's stone them, executing them by hurling large rocks at them. This is people talking about what they're going to do to Moshe. However, the glorious presence of Yahweh appeared within the tent of the eternal witness to the restoring meeting. In opposition, to, in opposition towards all the children of Israel. And Yahweh asks, saying to Moshe, For how long and for what reason will these people reject and despise me, treating me with other contempt and complete disrespect? How long and for what reason will they not trust me and rely upon me, especially with all of the signs, the symbols, and examples and illustrations these many accounts and distinguishing, distinguishing and open communications which to reveal the way to receive the benefits of the relationship. Of course, that word is Asher, one of our favorite words. And I have accomplished acting upon while engaging in their midst. You will notice that Yahweh did not suggest that the people reject in Yosha, and that they were not rejecting Caleb or Moshe, the men speaking for him, but instead ask why and for how long they would continue to despise and spurn him. This is the same message Yahweh communicated to Samuel when the children of Israel chose to be led by Shaul rather than to be guided by Yahweh through his Shaphat and Nabi. He told Samuel that they would be rejecting him, not the man speaking for him. That discussion is in 1 Samuel 8 which is followed by Yahweh's bold warning regarding the consequences of human governance, is among the most poignant uh, in the prophets. The religion has, the religious have done far more simply than simply replace Yahweh with gods of their own making, disrespecting him by substituting fig, figments of mankind's imagination in his place. The religious actually hate Yahweh. They explain to a, Christian, explain that to a Christian that there was no Jesus, there was no Christ, no basis for Christianity, and certainly no church, no dead God on a stick, much less the Easter resurrection, because Yahweh alone is God, and his Torah remains true. And watch how they respond. I've done this for about 15 years now. Tell a Muslim or uh, that Allah cannot be God, since Yahweh is God's only name, but then step back before they try to kill you. This is a vital insight, one missed by the religious. They will routinely—I beg your pardon—they will routinely claim their God's support of condemning those who actually cite who actually cite God, believing that they are doing a service to their God by defending their faith against God. It also means that if you are not being attacked by the religious, you probably are not conveying Yahweh's testimony as intended. 
And also, the corollary is true, such that we ought not to be not be daunted by being the one in a million, the lone individual standing up for God in the midst of the lost political, conspiratorial, and religious world. Yahweh is unconstrained, unconstrained by time, so he knew that the Jews would continue to treat him with contempt right up to his return. Further, he knew why, because the Israelites were condemning themselves with every word. The people openly stated that they preferred being controlled to being free. They, they preferred death to life and religion to a relationship with God. I find that extraordinary personally. Uh, this remains true with most people today, especially the Haredim. Therefore, Yahweh was posing these questions, hoping that we would find them and seek the answers to them. The lives of 15 million Jews and 8 billion others depends on knowing the answers to how long and for what reason do so many people, and especially these people, these people, the Israelites, reject Yahweh? For how long, for what reason do they treat God with such disrespect? They won't even say his name. Why doesn't everyone trust him, particularly considering all he has done to reveal himself to us and to serve us? Should you think that this is an unfair question because the religious worship God and do not revile him, then you have not been listened to Yahweh, with the lone exception of some exceedingly misguided and disingenuous racist parading around under the guise of black Hebrew Israelites. Every religious person on earth has rejected Yahweh's name. They have all rejected his Torah. They prefer their Talmud, their Zohar, the New Testament, or the Quran. The very, very fact that they are religious means that they have rejected Yahweh, his Torah, his Mikre, and his Bereth. And considering how much he has shared with us, all he has done for us, and to the extent that he has gone to prove that we can trust him, do not do so, to, do, to not do so is insulting. It is also stupid. But, of course, that's another story. Even having done this for 21 years, Craig, Craig speaking, I'm, I'm just uh, speaking what he wrote. I'm overwhelmed by what Yahweh says next. If you were not for, if it were not for how we came to this point in our study, and how the 81st Mismore is being used to introduce uh, Hausha's prophetic revelation, leading us to turn to the waters of Mirabah. I would be reluctant to share it with you, but we have, have been brought to this place for a reason. In our long journey through the Torah, the Nabi, and the Mismore, we have grappled with the realization that those who should have been in love with Yahweh have turned a deaf ear towards him. Christians and Muslims claim they worship the same God when they, do, when they too are ju not just ignorant of him, but dismissive and demanding towards him. And so Yahweh, with no one through whom to communicate, was left to work with a lone goy, one that he was so certain of, of that he announced his solution to the Jewish problem 3,500 years ago. As for the Jews, they would receive what they were doing. He said, Yahweh's words, I will lash out at them and incapacitate them, defeat and destroy them with this plague of words. I will disinherit them. Then in conjunction with you, I will act and engage to work with a Goy, a non-Israelite, who will be more empowered and capable than they. 
That's uh, Bar Midbar, known as Numbers 14.12. Recognizing that these words were spoken by God to Moshe circa 1440 BCE, some 3,560 years ago, Yahweh honored yet another promise he made to his people. Jews were disposed and displaced for much longer time, for a much longer time than any people who have survived and assessed their history. And it was all because they were plagued by their own words. They chose their fate, and Yahweh complied with their wishes. They were incapacitated by Judaism and all of its forms as a religion, as the religion has metastasized over the centuries. The heirs to the covenant disinherited because they disrespected the Father. While it was their decision to treat God with such utter contempt and to tell him that they would prefer to be a slave and die apart from him than live with him, extraordinary, it is, well, um, stupid. So inappropriate that it causes us to pause and reflect upon just how dangerous and debilitating, destructive and deadly the plague of religion is to a human soul. With Jews having done this to themselves, retreating from doorway to heaven so that they could return to hell and for continue to do so for thousands of years, Yahweh would find and employ a single boy to outperform and outproduce them all. And while this may sound like hyperbole for God to suggest that one boy will become more capable and thus more accomplished and essential than the Israelites, uh, there are some considerations which help to explain his evaluation. First, the Goy is being compared to people who have said that they would prefer to be controlled and abused and to disregard God and to reject everything he has done for them. Rather than consider Yahweh's words, the Israelites would rather attack and kill his witnesses. So being much more capable than a throng of idiots and ingrates is saying a lot by saying a little. Moreover, to the claim that this one man will be more accomplished uh, where it matters the most than most every Jew from Moses to the madness and mayhem that is political and religious Israel today isn't much of a leap. Having engaged to do everything that was required to make this possible and building upon what he had already revealed through Moshe, Yahweh would produce a sign worth is it worth his people's noticing and a message worth reading while the vast of religious lore of Jews should not even be found on the bottom of bird cages? Yahweh has put a plan in place to reconcile his relationship with his unappreciative and unappealing people while they were being unappreciative and unappealing. And he announced that he was going to do by publishing it in the most widely read book ever written. Are you listening? As for those who are trying God, tempting fate, they have been rejected and spurned, disrespected and despised for having chosen their brethren over Yahweh, servitude over liberty, religion over relationship, and a contentious attitude over an appealing approach. The emergence of Judaism would come at an unfathomable cost, one so high that Jews seemed incapable of perceiving it. Indeed, every one of these individuals who have witnessed my substantial presence, along with my signs and symbols, examples, and illustrations of mine, which reveal the way to receive these benefits of the relationship, I have accomplished acting upon while engaging within the crucible of political and religious oppression, as well as in the wilderness, 
and yet are continually trying and testing and tempting me. These ten occurrences have not listened to my voice, even if they see the land which I promised in pledge to their fathers, since all of them have disrespected and despised me, rejected and spurned me, treating me with contempt, they would not experience this. However, my associate, my co-worker, and my servant, Caleb, the dog who is also all heart and totally judgmental, because he has a different spirit within him and has wholeheartedly and without a reservation followed me right to the very end, I will bring him into the land which, to show the way to get the most enjoyment out of life, he arrived here and entered. And so his descendants, those who are rooted and grow based upon what they have sown, will inherit it. Yahweh has, has explained the consequences of mankind's greatest foes, religion and politics. The only human institutions to infect and plague everyone within the society. God was not chastising individual sin like converting, like coveting one's neighbor's ass, telling a fib, stealing someone's lamb, or even threatening to bury Moshe in a pile of stones. To the exclusion of only four people out of hundreds of thousands, probably close to a million and a half, they were all complicit. The target of their disdain was singular, God. As such, not only were the Israelites establishing the basis of their religion and recognizing their shared death, 